My mother wasn't a great one for words, and she didn't do lovey-dovey an awful lot. But yet, her husband, my dad, and my two older brothers and I knew that she loved us very much. And we knew that because of all that she did for us. She was a homemaker, and she showed her love and devotion in a hundred different ways, as many mothers and wives do every day. She did the shopping and carried home the groceries. She did the preparing of the dinner, the cooking of the meals. She did very often the washing up and putting the dishes away. She did all the making and the baking. There was never a bought bun in our house. She did it all. She hoovered, she dusted. She mended tears and clothes and tears when her sons fell and scraped their knees or fell out of trees, as boys do. She gave advice, treated our cuts and bruises. She dusted, and she even did painting and decorating. She was a busy person, showing her love for her family. These things weren't just simply responsibilities or duties, but they were loving ministries to us. She demonstrated her love in action. And that takes us to the very heart of the message here in John's first letter and what he's saying. This is how God showed his love among us, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, he tells us God talked his love, he communicated his love, but he also showed his love, and he showed it big time. Love is what defines him, says John. You'll see in verse 8, he says, God is love. In other words, this is who God is. He is love. It takes us to the heart of the gospel. It takes us to the very heart of God himself. The pop star Tina Turner asks in one of her songs, What's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? Who needs a heart when hearts can be broken? I've been thinking big about my own protection. What's love got to do with it? Well, when it comes to God's love and to God, love has everything to do with his story and with his message to us. And that's what John is emphasizing. God's love for his creation for his people, is woven throughout the scriptures in all kinds of references. For example, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31. I have loved you, he says to his people, with an everlasting love. Or Isaiah, chapter 63. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. And then in John's gospel, in chapter 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you you. Love defines him. He acts in love. So God's love is a giving love. One of the Hebrew words in the Old Testament for love has the root to give in it. In other words, it's saying God's love is a giving love. It's a dynamic love. It shows itself in action. It can be seen. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 8, we're told, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors 
that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. The people were a despised race, slaves in Egypt despised by all and under the heel of the Pharaoh. Nobody valued them except for their free labor and sweat day by day for Egypt's glory. And yet God loved them and demonstrated that love so miraculously and dramatically as he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It is an act of love. And this is the heart of the gospel that John shares. You can trust him to keep his word because he loves. And John says, we know that he loves us because we have seen his love in action. Look at verse 9. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world. So John's saying Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. He is no ordinary man, though he is man. He is the eternal Son of God, sharing with God the Father and the Son, the eternity. He's unique. And God declares him in his earthly ministry to be his beloved. Mark tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel at the baptism of Jesus, as he came up out of the water, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. Or again, on the Mount of Transfiguration, as those disciples gathered with Jesus on the mountain, Jesus was transfigured. The voice says, this is my son whom I love. God, the Father, loved the Son with a deep and eternal love, and yet he sent him into the world. Even though, as Jesus would point out in one of his parables, they abused and killed the prophets whom God sent before he sent his son. And he would, they would do the same to him. But it is because he loved and loves the world that he sent his only son. I read a story lately about a wife who left her husband. She left him because she felt he no longer noticed her, he no longer valued her, and she left the marital home. But when he realized his wife had left him, this jolted him out of his neglect and his indifference. They began to realize that, yes, though he hadn't hurt her, yet he had neglected her and hadn't shown real love for her. She'd done everything for him. He took her for granted through the years. He found out where she had gone, where she was now living. And he wrote a letter to her telling her, I realize that I've neglected you but I still love you and I want you to come home again. Will you come back? No reply. He wrote several other letters in the same vein. Still no reply. But one day in his distress, he got into the car and he journeyed to the place, to the address where he believed she was. And sure enough, she was there. They sat and chatted together. He talked with her and she began to realize he really meant it. He really missed her and valued her. And eventually she agreed that she would come back. She gathered up a few belongings, got into the car with him and started the journey back home. And on the way back home again, he said to her, you know, I wrote quite a few letters, but you never replied. But now you've agreed to come back home. What has happened? What's the difference? And she said to him, well, those were just letters. But this time, you've come in person. That's what Jesus did. He came in person into the world. 
to us. He comes among us. And so John writes at the beginning of his letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. In other words, we saw him. We were with him. We heard him. He's real. The eternal God and yet also man who walked among us. And he's gone back to the Father. And this is the one we proclaim to you. This is the love that God shows to us. That he sent his son into the world. That the son came making himself vulnerable. He risked being hurt and he was hurt. For the story takes us to the cross where Jesus was taken by the hands of sinful and cruel men in the plots and plans of those who hated him because he challenged them and he was nailed to a cross. He was locked down, plunged into darkness, alone, deserted and carrying the darkness of our sins that echoed the darkness of the land through the hours of that crucifixion and reflecting the darkness of the hearts of those who put him there and those who jeered him and mocked him even as he hung on the cross. And he did it for us. For this he was sent, and to this he gave himself. It is a costly love that costs the life and spills the blood of the eternal Son of God, the unique Son who alone can be the saviour of the world, our saviour. It's a love that is costly. Derek Bingham, Bingham was once taken on a tour of Edinburgh Castle by a Scottish friend. And in their tour, they eventually reached the throne room in which are kept the crown jewels of Scotland. And the crown is the centrepiece of them all. There was a guard standing beside it, watching the visitors and keeping an eye on them. Derek Bingham turned to the guard and he said to him, it must be very valuable. How much is it worth? The guard was very indignant at the question. He says, I'll tell you how much it's worth. 3,000 men died in one day to put that crown on the head of Robert the Bruce. That's how costly it is. And the cross of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus shows us how costly is the love of God, how precious it should be to us, and how it calls us to trust in him and to come to him as our saviour, the one who bore our sin and who invites us to be embraced by that love and cleansed in that love. This is love, writes John in chapter 4 and in verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now, John doesn't stop there. He invites us to stand amazed at the cross of Jesus, at the love, at the cost that he could love us, the sinner, and yet die for us to be our atoning sacrifice to reconcile us to God. But he won't allow us to stay there just as the disciples weren't allowed to stay on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, they had to come down into everyday life again and get on with life. He says, no, you've got to move on. 
You've got only to know that love, but to live that love, to demonstrate that love. We can't privatize the love of God. It just can't be contained. No, he says in verse 11, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. It's a transformative love. The love of God touches the heart. It changes the heart and the mind and the attitude to others around us so that we, with God's love in our hearts, are to let it spill over into the lives of others that they too may be touched by his love and drawn to God. Do you know that love? John is really saying, great. Now get out there and live it, show it, share it to bless the lives of others. That's what John is emphasizing here. And he gives us a few reasons for it. First of all, it's a command that he says in verse 23 of chapter 4. You are commanded to love God. John is referring to Jesus Christ and his teaching that he records in chapter 13 of the gospel that he wrote. And it echoes God's command in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the greatest commands to love God and to love your neighbor. For in doing so, it shows the genuineness of our understanding of the love of God for us. And therefore, of how we are to be the disciples of God, reflecting him, his heart, his transformative activity in our lives with others. It is a distinctive mark of the Christian and of the Christian church. And Paul lists it as part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit who lives in the lives of his followers. It is a command. But we are to love because we are loved. We love because he first loved us, says John. We show that love to others and we show the reality of God's love by loving others. And so he goes on to say, if we love God, we must love others. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar, says John. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We show the reality of faith and experience of God by the reality of the love of God reaching out to others. We cannot keep resentments and grudges in our hearts against others and at the same time let it live with the love of God in our lives. No, the love of God must change those attitudes and ways. For God himself in his love forgives. He is the one we wrong. He reconciles. And he shows that in the cross of Jesus and so must all who profess Christ. And there's the challenge. How are we to demonstrate that love? How are we to live that love? John indicates in two ways. First of all, by sharing the gospel and secondly, by showing the gospel. John and those who lived at his time and who became followers of Jesus talked about their faith. They didn't just and couldn't just keep it to themselves. In chapter 2 of his gospel, John writes of the teaching of John the Baptist. And one day when John the Baptist was saying to the crowds, pointing to Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Andrew the fisherman was among the crowd. And Andrew was deeply struck by this. And he went back home and he found his brother, Simon Peter. And John in the gospel tells us, that he told his brother Peter, we have found the Christ. 
And then writes John, and he brought Peter to Jesus. He shared what he'd heard and what he'd seen with Peter. And that brought Peter to Jesus, and they became his followers, faithful to him. And then in Acts chapter 8, we're told a persecution broke out against the early Christians, and they were scattered. And as they went, and as they settled in other places, they took their faith with them. They spoke the gospel, they preached the gospel, they gossiped the gospel, as someone has put it. In other words, they didn't keep it to themselves, they shared it with others in all kinds of ways. In the marketplaces, as they went about their business, in their homes, with their neighbors, quite naturally in everyday life. And so we too are called, as we follow Christ, to share the words of life in our homes, with our families, with our neighbors, in the workplace, as questions were asked, as people maybe ask, you go to church, why do you go to church? Well, because, and we have the opportunity to share the word of Jesus word of forgiveness, words of life, word of relationship, of a daily presence of an ever-present Lord, and of a hope for the future. To demonstrate the love of God with the word of God. But then to show the gospel, to live it out, to live it out in our attitudes, our thoughts, and our actions. Real love shows itself. And Christian love shows itself in the same way that God showed it, in action, by sending his son, the son by coming. The Gospels are full of stories of Jesus' love and action, reaching out to touch even the leper, to bless those who came to him, crowding around him, seeking his help, seeking words of hope, seeking his touch of healing. They said, never man spoke like this man. We've never heard anyone speak like this again. The very presence of God was in his words as in his person. And so we too are to love as he loved, reaching out, touching the lives of others, showing God's love in action. Think of sharing the word sorry. There's a difference between a duty sorry and a loving sorry. Now, you have to go and say sorry to that person, and you begrudgingly do it and say, well, I'm sorry. But saying sorry is very different, a great difference. And so to love with the love of God is real, not just a duty. It comes from the heart as it comes from God's heart. Through this Christian Aid Week, we've been reminded of the needs of the world. And here's an opportunity for Christians to reach out with the love of God to a world of need, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, the giving heart of Jesus to the real needs of many out there. And in these times of lockdown and COVID-19, which is so infectious and of which we are so afraid, we can easily have an emphasis on protecting ourselves, looking after ourselves, and it's good and right to do that. But here's opportunity to remember others, to pray for others whose needs we learn of, to pray for them, maybe to phone them, maybe to say hello to an next-door neighbor who's living on their own and is cut off, 
Maybe to cut an elderly person's grass because nobody else is coming to do it. To give something to the food banks, uh, which are so necessary and which help so many. There are a thousand different ways to show the love of God and to make a difference in people's lives. And more and more in this cynical world, it's action and attitude that is ministry in the name of Jesus to others. Where they see the genuineness of care, the caring heart of God, reaching out to them, valuing them, saying, you matter, you matter to God so much that he gave himself for you. Lives in which Christ can be discerned because they're lives that have been transformed by his gospel and his presence. Be that to someone today. Amen.